All right, we are back in action. Welcome back to the Ideas Into Action podcast. I'm your host, Hamza Khan, and wow, do we have an episode for you today. Our guest today is James Benham, a bootstrapped serial entrepreneur, corporate innovator, and investor focused on technology that transforms the world's oldest industries. He's the co-founder and CEO of JB Knowledge, a multinational technology and consulting company founded in 2001 that develops industry-leading software for the largest insurance companies across the world. He's also the co-founder of two insurance tech products, Smart Compliance and Terra. In this episode, we talked about pain versus control, entrepreneurship, persisting through overwhelming fear, compassionate leadership, the power of checklists, and the discipline and focus that it takes to land planes, metaphorically and literally. So over the past few episodes, I've been really trying to find my voice. There's been an extended hiatus that preceded the last four episodes you've listened to. And since then, I've been trying to reconnect with the essence of what we started several years ago. And man, oh man, thanks to James, we are back in action. I am fired up. James has single-handedly reignited the spark for this podcast. You are in for a treat. Let's go. James Benham, it is an absolute pleasure to welcome you onto the Ideas Into Action podcast. Thank you so much for being here, sir. Hey, glad to be here. Okay, where do we begin? I think we should start all the way at the end. So I want you to imagine, James, that it's your Lifetime Achievement Award ceremony. How would you like to be introduced when you look back at this brilliant, sprawling career that you've had? How would you like people to describe it? Um, I, I would like to be described as someone who built useful things that uh, did important stuff. Uh, I, I think it's important to make stuff. Uh, and to make stuff that people need uh, to solve problems that people have. And so I've always prided myself on being a fixer. And so right. if I were described as someone who uh, who fixed problems, who solved problems for, for companies, uh, who was able to, in a small way, impact the industries that I worked in and uh, make lives better for both individuals and companies, that would be pretty rewarding for me. Um, you know, obviously there's always, there's financial rewards for business success, but, uh, what, what, as people, I think we look for is that we're, uh, we're impacting, um, industries, lives, companies, and, and I find a, a lot of enjoyment out of that. So if I were in that, I would say, yeah, uh, that, and that I, um, you know, I think most importantly, if I were at that, uh, ceremony, they would say that I, I did it and, uh, helped people out along the way. Um, wow. I'm a big uh, believer and practicer of giving back and serving both my, my city, my state, um, and my alma mater. Uh, and, and I, I've, I've mentor a, a lot of, a lot of kids up through, uh, through getting started in business. And so I think that would be important to me too, that I didn't, I wasn't selfish along the way. I, I love the, the articulation of, of that, um, what I, what I hope, what, what we know will be the way you are described at your Lifetime Achievement Award Ceremony. I'm reminded of the Zig Ziglar quote that you can have everything in your life if you help enough people get what they want. And it sounds like that's yeah. very much what you're doing. You've really made it about the client. You've made it about the community. You've made it about students. You've really made it about other people. And, um, you know, maybe in some karmic sense, 
all of that is coming back to you. The value that you've created for other people, you are getting to experience that as a very successful, as you describe yourself, bootstrapped serial entrepreneur. So James, my second question for you is um, around what that means. And, and I'd like to know specifically, what were some of the seemingly impossible milestones in your life or career that brought you to this episode of the podcast together? Because when we talk about bootstrap, the origin of that phrase comes from, um, I forget the, the exact anecdote that birthed it, but, but the essence of bootstrapping is an impossible, it's not a difficult situation, it's an impossible situation. So James, if you could illuminate for us something or some things in your life or career that were impossible, that served as catalysts for where you are right now. That would be great. Well, the way I describe bootstrapping in, in my soon-to-be-coming book is I, uh, I say that it's doing what you have to do um, so you can build what you want to build. Mm. Because that's, that's really what most people don't want to do is they want other people to fund their ideas so that they can jump straight into the end game. Right. And I've always been a, a long play kind of person. Like it's, I, I don't know about you. I play, I play chess pretty much every day. And Me too. I, yeah, so I'm on chess.com and I, I, I love Same. it. I love playing. Yeah. <laughs> We've probably played each other. We're going to have to friend up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're not going to compare scores because I'm still, no. I, I still have a long way to go in, in chess. But, Me too, man. you know, I, I really like long play. I really like thinking about six moves down the road and setting up the business for success. And so, you know, you, you kind of ask what's the, the meaning of bootstrapping and, right. and it, it certainly it's the willingness to endure pain yes. so that you can maintain control. Like if that, that's really what it's about because what people do is they, they when, when you raise money, uh, you give up control and you're exchanging control for for pain, right? You're saying there's exactly. this pain control exchange, That's so and uh, it, it really demonstrates that you believe that if you had to bootstrap the idea, that you wouldn't have enough time to meet the market need. But but often that's really not the case. People think, well, there's market timing, and if we don't do it right now, we're going to miss the opportunity and you know, often I have found, well, pretty much all the time I have found that the opportunity actually still continues. You just have to keep evolving your solution for it. So starting JB Knowledge in my dorm room was really about, I had two internships at a big accounting firm and I enjoyed the people, but I couldn't visualize myself sitting in a cube with two other dudes, um, yeah. auditing and building uh, audit tests and, and, and then building software to solve what we found in the audit which is what I was doing. I just couldn't envision doing that and then traveling to like Delaware every week for five days and then reintroducing myself to my kids every weekend. Like that just wasn't yeah. how I envisioned my life at 21. And so I was like, you know, I'll take less money and have the opportunity to control the outcome. And that that's really what bootstrapping is about. And so mm -hmm. you just figure out what can you do right now to generate cash. And a lot of us have mm -hmm. a lot more options to generate cash right now than we would really like right. to believe, you know, like there's a, I mean, Hamza, dude, I, I play guitar and I sing, right? Yeah. And um, it's like my weekend activity and I play in the farmer's market and, uh, and, and like people tip heavy to guitar players. <laughs> I mean, it's You're amazing so much how much joy you can to their get. world. 
Exactly. Now, like I, I, I take my tips and I go and you know to take spend it with the farmers market people so that the people that and, you know they they get the money back. But like it's it's a fascinating experiment because you, you know it's funny. Like I, I when I first started playing, I didn't even put out a tip jar. Because I didn't want the money. Like, I'm not there for the money. Nope. They're just going to enjoy You're playing. You're doing it for the love. Yeah. And people got, like, angry about it. They're like, you need a tip jar. Like, you need a tip. And, like, my fellow people at the farmer's market, like, got a jar and put it in front of me and got a piece of paper and taped a tip on it. And this is the way uh, we do things here. Yeah. I know, man. Like, this is how we do things. This is how the world works. And I, and, and my point, I guess my point is that you can make money singing on a corner. You can make money cutting. I, my first business was cutting grass. I made good money cutting grass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If there's anything people don't want to do, you can make money good do, good money doing that. Absolutely. And 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 then you can use that cash to self fund your ideas, which is really what bootstrapping is all about. And it's all about trading control for pain. That's fascinating. I'm I'm just visualizing that continuum. With on one end, you've got control. On the other end, you've got pain. And mm-hmm. you know, it uh, as as you shift the the, the dial, uh, you know, one of them increases. It seems zero sum. The more pain you have, the less control. Or sorry, the other way around. The more pain you around, endure, yeah. the more control you have, and the less pain you have, the, the yeah. more control you forfeit. I'm curious to know, James, which of the businesses you've created um, produced the most pain using that? <laughs> All model? of them. All, All of them. them. <laughs> yeah. Although I'll tell you like the, the, you know, let's go back to business number one when I was 12, cutting grass. I made really, really, really good money. I mean, I made about, sure. at the end of the day, I was, I was 12 making about 30 to 40 bucks an hour in 1991, Ooh. 92. Wow. You know, so like I made really good money for a 12 year old and, right. and it was a cash business. I had no employees. So that was the least amount of pain because mm-hmm. I didn't have to manage staff. I didn't have to meet a payroll. You know, the things that are really painful now, like when COVID hit with JV Knowledge, I mean, we have 275 employees right now. And with COVID, we probably, when we rolled into COVID, we probably had 240 and you're, you're carrying 240 person payroll. That's a, That's that is a lot of pain when you're looking at the entire economy shutting down. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so anything with a lot of payroll is painful because people count on you and you have, that's where the pain largely comes from is you just got a giant amount of cash that you have to keep paying out. Right. And so, um, any business involving, you know, you're getting paid immediately for a service you just delivered, definitely the least amount of pain. Although, you know, you're, you're cutting grass in Baton Rouge, Louisiana in the middle of the summer and it's a hundred degrees and 90% humidity and you're sweating and not, I'm allergic to everything. So <laughs> sneezing the whole time. So you, you could argue that I do endure pain there too. And the reason I was getting paid a lot is because, you know, kids don't like to suck it up like that. So, you know, that, that's, that, that's, there's always that continuum. But once I got into the product business where I was having to, cause you know, long story short, 21 years ago, I finished two internships with a big accounting firm and said, I'm going to start my own software company. Started JV Knowledge in my dorm room and and started building custom software. Well, those were fairly simple engagements. I, I paid contractors by the hour and then I got paid by the hour and then I kept the, the margin. Um, the pain really came when I started investing in product speculatively. Uh, right. that's, when, that's when you're shelling out hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars investing and building a product and you have no idea if it's going to sell or not. No idea. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so you've got, now you've got a lot of, of risk. And of course the other pain comes within the first year, we had to convert those contractors and go, and go to put, you know, full-time employees. And now you've got a payroll and a salary to meet. And so that's, right. 
that's really where the where the pain comes and where most entrepreneurs that are that are raising money tend to really panic because you know there's this giant guillotine hanging over their neck all the time that that is called runway and yeah. it's how much oh, yeah. money how much how much money they've raised and how long they have at their current burn rate you know this is fascinating. You've given me a lot to think about over here, and I'm sure you've given the, uh, the listeners a lot to think about as well. I, I, I know that this is going to be one of the central themes of this podcast when I put the show notes together around pain and, and control. Um, I'm reminded of, of Stephen A. Hopfall's theory of um, psychological stress. Are you familiar with this, James, at all? No. So we typically incur psychological stress in one of three ways. It's when there is a net loss of resources, when there is the threat of a loss of resources or when there's insufficient reward following an investment of resources. And I'm wondering if this could overlap on top of your model of pain and power and pain and control. And, you know, as, as entrepreneurs, we, we experience all three of those stressors all the time, sometimes in the same day, right? <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, like, I had those emotions before breakfast this morning. If you lose an account or you're threatening to lose an account or you have, I mean, like I can run through right. the last 24 hours and you're, and you're, and you're sitting there and you still, all of that, even, even after you sell a company and you're on your next one, you're still worried about that stuff. You're always worried about it. You're always worried about it. And and I think you've really illuminated for me here that if you want to insulate yourself from that pain, you give up control because then you can bring on investors, you can raise capital, but then you change sure the terms of how you run the business. You could change your psychological circumstances, perhaps, even if you view the company differently, but you're not going to be as effective. So no. this, there's so much more I want to ask you just about that. Um, but I, I want to take a, a, a journey, I guess, a little further back over here and really for the audience, uh, help them understand just what it is that you do. And maybe we can return to this, this dichotomy between control and, and pain. But you do so much. And, and as a serial entrepreneur, as a fellow entrepreneur, I completely get it. It's hard to pinpoint the one thing that we do. And it's hard for me to even pinpoint the one thing that you do. You've got this beautiful, sprawling portfolio that spans speaking, entrepreneurship, consulting, innovation, tech, sales, business leadership. In just this call alone, you've talked about cutting grass and accounting. What is um, what is the thing that binds all of this together, James? Like what is uh, yeah. what is your purpose? If yeah, you know? building, bu building technology. I'm a technologist, pure and simple. So ah. everything I've ever done has been around building technology. Um, I, mm -hmm. I, I love it. I love building software. I love creating product. I love solving needs with uh, with with software. Um, you in, te in the technology business, you you're kind of either a hardware person or a software person. I I've always really enjoyed innovating with software. I've always believed that the real magic and the secret sauce is in the software. I think Tesla is kind of proving that out that they have some of the the least amount of hardware of, of a lot of the self driving cars, and they've they've solved the vast majority of their problems with really really advanced software development. And so I've always believed that the you know the the, the real secret sauce was in software. And so and if you look at what we've done now, we've narrowed our entire focus to insurance technology mm -hmm. uh, and, and the whole enterprise. So JV Knowledge, Terra, and Smart Compliance, those are all InsureTech. Um, JV Knowledge builds custom software, Smart Compliance and Terra are policy claims and claim subrogation software for insurance. So so we've been, we've been successful in the last year at narrowing our focus substantially I had a major play in construction where we built a, a bidding system called SmartBid in 2007. And 
it, it had really, really great amounts of success. We, we got 1,100 companies to pay us to use it. We had a quarter million companies wow. using it to, to bid on projects. We had, we had projects from Hong Kong to London to Dubai to any major city in North America, including Toronto, Vancouver, Ottawa, um, Montreal, Quebec City, for my, for my Canadian friends. I mean, I, any major city in Canada I went to, we had, we had skyscrapers that were being bid through our software. Because we had we had PCL, PCL and we had um, you know we had some huge Canadian uh, contractors on there Eastern we had uh, Palmer Lowe, we had we had we had all these you know Qit Canada we had all these big contractors that were building we had a, we had Canadian French version of our software so I mean it was it was really cool to see and build that and that and that was uh, but it was hard and I'll say this because you, you're talking about focus it was hard to switch every day between construction and insurance. And right. and to flip your brain, but I did it for a very very long time. Context um, switching, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. So you just hear you're always thinking. So so now, but but look, the 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 thread that you could pull through the entire thing has been technology development, um, speaking, consulting, podcasting, the reports, the roadshow. All of that was about content and thought leadership and technology. Uh, so that we could meet new friends and make new relationships and build technology for people that needed it. I mean, it's when you don't have VC funding, you don't have a $10 million budget for sales and marketing. You've got to get really creative with how people find out about you. Mm-hmm. Unless you just want to be a person who's known in your town and that's it. You, you know, and, and in technology, it's, it's not, technology is not a local business. Technology is a yeah. global business. Absolutely. You know, restaurants are it's, local. Hotels can be local. I mean, exactly. there's, there's a lot of things. The CPA accounting business is local. Legal business right. is largely local. Construction is very local. You know, it's hard. It, it, but, but technology, if you really want to be a player, you've, you've got you've to go global. But going global Absolutely. means how do I get all these people to find out who I am? Which means yeah. you've got to be a sales and marketing beast. You know? Yes, absolutely. Which which you are, sir, with with this 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 funnel that you've built, and it's very clear for me to see now the through line that that ties together everything. It ties together the book that's coming. It ties together the speaking, mm-hmm. uh, the personal brand you've built on social media. I'm curious to know where did this thread begin? Uh, was it was was what 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 inspired this love of and passion for technology and software? Yeah. I've always I've always uh, loved business. My dad was in business, and my dad's entire family was in business. Um, my dad owned a Teflon company. His sisters owned um, retail shops, and his brother owned a giant tree nursery, like a multi hundred acre tree farm. Wow. And his, like this whole family, and they all grew up just dirt broke, poor, in, in Mississippi mm-hmm. on a farm, and they all ended up being fairly <laughs> successful entrepreneurs, and mm-hmm. and my my father particularly so. And so I, I grew up watching him, but he made it very clear that he would never employ me. And he made it very clear that I would never be allowed to take over his business. And, oh, that, wow. the, and that the only thing he was ever going to give me was a college education and one car. That's hard and, not to love right there. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and which is, well, I recognize it's more than a lot of people get as a college education and a car, true, but he, true, he, true. He, he constrained it and he said, hey, look, if you want to go in business, you're going to have to start your own. I'm not, you're not going to come work for me. You're not going to come step into this business. You're not going to be an owner. I'm not going to give it to you. Um, you know, I'm going to sell it to somebody else. I'm going to keep the money. 
I mean, he was really, mm. and so it was like, well, what do I like doing? And he was a bit of a Luddite. And if you don't know what that is, he was not into <laughs> technology. Um, he really wasn't. We had, uh, growing up, we had like a, a TV with rabbit ears, one TV with rabbit ears, <laughs> one telephone that was corded. And that was it. That was it. And yeah. no computers. <laughs> the extent of the tech stack right there. <laughs> yeah, there was no computers. And when he, he ran for, the, I guess his mistake and my benefit <laughs> are the, the really positive thing is he bought a computer to run for office. Uh, he wanted to run for city council. He was successful. He, he, he got elected, but he didn't need his computer after the election. So he gave it to me. <laughs> and you're like, I got this. And, <laughs> and, I, and, and I was like, what is this? <laughs> you know, I was like, what is this computer? So, so I put my hands on it and I was like, this is amazing. And, um, and I, I wasn't into gaming like most of my friends were. I got really into coding and that's mm -hmm. when it just sparked the, the fire. And my middle school taught computer programming. So sixth, seventh grade, I was uh, 11 years old, started you know, writing code there, writing code at home, and then we ended up getting into an a public engineering high school where they had four years of college level computer science, and then we they had an internet service provider. And by the way, by the way, the internet got commercialized right during this time, 1993, 1994. So I, I remember in '94, I was I was on a webcam video conference with a professor in at Cornell. It was black and white, and we had to use the phone for the audio. But I video conference with him, and it, and it made the local newspaper because it was such a big oh, wow. deal in 1994. <laughs> and wild. I still have the I still have the newspaper article. But it was it was just such a cool time to be a teenager yeah, in the yeah. early 90s, and to be writing code and then building this thing on this new thing called the called the web, the World mm. Wide Web, uh, with this new protocol called HTML and HTTP and and it was like, man, this is this is it. This is all I want to do. <laughs> so you were you were you were thinking and working six steps ahead, if you will. Yeah, you were, yeah, you, were no. you were in the future working backwards. Yeah, it was it, dude. I mean, that was all I wanted to do was like build websites, build software, be involved in the internet, and um, you know, and I, I wasn't alone. There were a lot of kids that were that were at the school just like me that wanted to do the same thing. This is exciting, and uh, you know it's 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 fascinating to know that if you wanted tomorrow, James, you could just liquidate everything you've got going on with all the success that you've had and call it a day, legs up on a beach somewhere, and say, "I'm done. Yeah. I'm good. Me and my family are set for the rest of our lives." But you wake up and you approach every single day with a level of purpose and passion that's been no doubt infectious. I'm feeling it across the screen over here, and I know our listeners yeah. are feeling it as well. What excites you when you wake up? let's say on a Monday morning, what's what's driving you? It's a love of technology. You've got this 275 person company that you got to maintain, but what else is uh, animating you, James? Yeah, well, the peop uh, my, my people at my company uh, keep me very motivated. Uh, I've mm -hmm. had my leadership team, there's six of us and we've been, you know, five of us have been together for 21 years. I mean, wow, that's like, remarkable. And the, I, I love these guys, like legitimately, I hit I the that. I hit the jackpot. The I hit mm. the lottery jackpot on co-founders and and leadership team. I mean, I'm I'm literally in a room. This is in my studio in my headquarters office. And on the other side of the wall, I've got two of them meeting with a, a customer right now about a new product that we're building. And uh, I stepped in here to do the interview, and I'll be back in there with them. And that motivates the hell out of me because wow. we've got some really really good people in Argentina and South Africa and the United States where our offices are um, that that really 
want to, to be part of something great and they want to be part of a team that cares about them and you have to do something with your time. And mm-hmm. while, while, while I, I could do the, you know, put your feet up on the beach and not do much thing, I, I would be dreadfully, depressingly bored within about three days. <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. And uh, I watched my dad go through that when he sold his fourth company. He, he, um, he just didn't have anything to do. And he, w- he was old enough that he didn't want to start another one. And uh, he's been super bored for the last 15 years. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and um, now, now he and I have a great relationship and he's found things to do since then. But the thought of being that bored is kind of scary to me. And so, so part of it is a fear of boredom. A big part of it is I'm super motivated to, to work with my team to keep building things because we've built a really cool work team. And, we, I, you know, and, and, and these, these folks have been with me so long that we've really committed to each other that we want to, we want to live out the rest of our careers together. It's like, a, it's that. like a very interesting work marriage where one of the guys in that room next to me literally came up to me um, 16 years ago and he said, James, this is going to be the last job I work at. I'm going to work with I you until that. I retire. And Hang I was like, jerseys in the office. <laughs> I know. Like we're going to retire the Jersey in the office. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> what? I, I, and that mind you, I was like 24 at the time. And I was like, I don't even know what to say. So it's a, um, it's really cool to have that level of trust and commitment. If you know, like Pat Lencioni's, five dysfunctions of a team, the core dysfunction right. is absence of trust. Yep. And it's like the opposite here. Like I just totally trust them. And while we recognize that outside external headwinds may put us out of business one day, I mean, we hope not, but shoot, COVID scared the heck out of us. Yeah. Um, oh, I can only imagine. Yeah. The, the 9-11. So I founded the business April of 01, 9-11 happened. I thought I was done no at 9-11. I thought I was done yeah, when- Country when changed, the world changed. Yeah, and when Lehman Brothers collapsed in 08, I thought I was done. When, when, um, when COVID hit, I thought I was. I mean, there have been multiple times I was like, "Well, that's it. Okay, let's put up back our bags, and go home." <laughs> like, like, and and uh, somehow we survived. So yeah, what what get, what gets me up on a Monday morning? That because um, I just think about my people. And I'm like, man, they're waiting for me. Like, they need me to get up and work. They need you. Yeah, and, and, I mean, and you exist to, to serve them. You, you you remind me of this adage that if you take care of your employees, your employees will take care of the customers and the customers yeah. will take care of any of the success metrics which are important to you. And I think yeah. a lot of leaders get this ass backwards, unfortunately. And and this is a, you know an area of mine that I focus on, I research on, which is like malignant leadership. And I wish we had another podcast and you've inspired me to actually create one where we just dive deep into your leadership philosophy. But I, I want to come back to something that you you just mentioned right there at the end before we get into our next question around fear. So 9-11, you mentioned the 2008 financial crisis and then COVID, like these three big events that I imagine would paralyze most leaders. And um, it has uh, scared all leaders and, and their reactions have been different. What is your reaction during times of fear? How do you feel and how do you process the fear that comes with uh, you know uh, the the loss of of people, of resources, of success, whatever the case. Of accounts, how, clients, how does James products, go, all of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How do you, how, how do you deal with that? Yeah, I had a really bad day, January fourteenth, two thousand eight. Um, so bad oh, that wow. I remember yeah. the date. Um, mm-hmm. And um, we had a major server issue, and it took our um, product down. It took our clients down. We hosted email and websites at the time, which we don't do anymore, but. It took 80 customers down. I had uh, the phones ringing off the hook, and it was all caused by just some really silly stuff. Um, 
and um, I went outside and just started crying because I I was oh, convinced man. that with everything down, we lost a few days of customer data. This was, again, this was 15 years ago, but it was a, a very traumatic, or 14 years ago, very traumatic event. Um, I can only imagine. And um, I I was convinced that I was done, and I called my dad. Because, you know, he and I talk and, you know, I co-found, I, I, my dad was my partner for, for 18 years in this business and uh, along with my, one of my best friends from high school. And um, I called them and I said, man, I think we're done. I think it's over. Wow. Like right now, I mean, like, and, and, and I was just so upset because <laughs> I'd, you know, we hadn't reaped any rewards yet. Right. It'd been seven years of building and like we didn't really start making real money until 2009, 10, 11. And uh, and I said, I think I'm done. I think it, I think it's over. I don't think we survived this. And he goes, slow down, calm down, take a breath. I said, it's 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 probably not over. Wow. I said he said, just he goes, just think right now. And my dad is my dad is not low key. He is, he is wired up, okay? But he got super low-key. He got Ooh, super chill. Scary. Like, he got super chill, and he goes, just think about the only thing that you can do right now. Because he said a lot of things are out of your control right now. You know, servers are down. It's going to take a couple of days to get them back online. It's going to take some days to recover the data. It's going to take – he goes, all those things are going to take more time. You have people that are working on those. What can you do right now? I know you're upset. I hear that you're upset. I'm sorry you're upset. And um, I was like, I don't, I don't, I guess I can call customers. And he goes, yeah. he goes, he goes, there you go. He goes, I want you to get on the phone, go call all your clients, apologize, offer service. You know, and I said, hey, and I said, I can call, I can offer service credit. Goes, okay, go do that. And then call me in the morning. And so wow. I got on the phone and I called all of our big customers and I was just brutally honest with them. I'm like, messed up. We've been, despite our best efforts, these servers are down. It's going to be until Monday. It was a, I think it was a Friday or a Thursday. I said, it's going to be till Monday when we get them back up. We lost some data. We're going to help you. We're going to help, we're going to help work on fixing that. But I said, I, I, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you this much service credits for what we're doing. And, and, um, we didn't lose a single customer. I mean, not God one. Bless. And, wow. and, 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 and look, look. We should have, <laughs> but right. I was just brutally honest with them. I'm like, here's the situation. Here's what's going on. Here's where we're at. Here's what we're doing to fix it. Here's how I'm saying sorry. There's no better way to say sorry than with money. And so I said sorry with money, handed out tens of thousands of dollars of service credits. Sure. And we we worked our butts off and we you know, the people that were responsible, we had to show the door in the company. We had a person responsible for this incident and they had to leave. And we had to bring some other people in and, you know, mm -hmm. it, it was, it was really traumatic. And, 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 and so that's what I think of is like, what can, you know, you stop, breathe, what's the thing you can actually do in control right now and just wow. do that and don't worry, stop worrying about long game, stop trying to war game all, all the nasty things that could happen. Start being brutally honest with your customers. because That's generally who it impacts and just start apologizing and start offering service credits and start trying to work it out. Like, Ooh. and, and if you just focus on that, that short term, it helps you get through it. Like when COVID hit, we've been an EOS company, entrepreneurial operating system, which is a system formed by Gino Whitman, uh, for his book traction. We've been on EOS for seven years. We mm -hmm. plan for everything. We have a one, three, right. five, 10 year plan. We've, we, we, we've, you know, 
we really follow EOS to a T. And we have weekly leadership team meetings. We have open, honest, healthy discussions. And, you know, COVID hit and we got together. We looked at each other and we go, all right, <laughs> what can we do? And we, we followed my what dad's principle. What's the one thing we can do right now? Let's stop worrying. Yes. Because that doesn't help. Nope. 95% of this is out of our control. And so we said, well, we can work from home immediately before they make us, right? We can work from home before it's mandated. And yep. we can call our customers and, ex and explain what we're doing. And, you know, and we identified like three things. And the meeting was 30 minutes long for COVID. We had a 30-minute yeah. meeting for COVID. And then now and there are a lot of meetings of outside of regulations. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we sent everybody home. We worked out now our people had to do a lot more than 30 minute meetings below that. Right. But the decision right, right. was 30 minutes and, yep. and there was nothing else to talk about. It's like, there's only a handful of things we can do. And we figured it out. We called customers and stayed in close contact with them about what their situation was and if they, everything was okay there. And we, I mean, that's, that's really all you can do. I think when these horrible things happen, nine 11, I was on the towers two weeks before nine 11. Wow. That's, wild. I would, I have a picture of me in front of the, the communication tower world trade center. Oh I mean, my goodness. I was mentally traumatized. I was like, of course I could have been on that thing. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You Causes know, ex existential dread and panic. And, yeah. Oh my yeah, it was goodness. terrible. The empathy must've been wild. Yeah. Yeah. And then the economy took a nosedive and then same thing in Oof. 08. And in all those cases, you just, you just say, you know, what, what can we do? How do we, and we, of course we, you know, you can curtail expenses in all those cases. We, what we always immediately, the last thing we do is cut people. The first thing we do is, is cut any discretionary expenses. And, um, James, you know, that's, uh, I'm, I'm getting chills here, man. This is wild. I wish we had a, a video recording of this so, so people could see that I'm actually getting goosebumps here. So much, so much to unpack. I mean, just your dad's sage advice to breathe and acknowledge that there's a situation that you really can't manage, but there are elements within that situation that you can control. And yeah. I have to bring it back to chess. You know, we can imagine six, seven steps ahead, but at the end of the day, we still have to move a piece here and now. And that's what you did. And, yeah. and the pieces that you moved, sir, were, were the right moves to make in the moment, and they helped you to win the long game. And, and coming back to how you concluded that, that beautiful anecdote or series of anecdotes, the last thing that you do is fire people. And right now, at the time that we're recording this, there's so many tech companies out there that have made bad bets with regards to the recession and the COVID emergence. And it seems like their first reaction is to let people go. <laughs> and there's companies out here. There's one here in Toronto. And you know what? I'm... I'm not brave enough yet to call them out by name, but give me a couple of weeks and I think I'll summon the courage to acknowledge which company this is. And I think you know which company I must be talking about. CEO made a bad decision. His first reaction was to let go of 10% of the company. And this is in spite of on their website saying, we're a family. What, would you let go of your family in this case? It's absolutely absurd. It's asinine. It, 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 it boils my blood like nothing else. And so it's just so... It's so deeply reassuring to know that you can achieve wild success as you are right now and still be a human-centric, wise, forward-thinking leader. So I tip it my non-existent hat. Well, I do have a hat here, so let me tip my hat to you, sir. There, yeah, thanks. But it doesn't mean that you're never going to lay people off, right? I mean, it just means right. that it's your. It just means that it's your last course. Like the first right. thing you do in any downturn is you close open positions. Okay, immediately yes, yes. you immediately cease hiring. And the second thing you do is you close any position replacements because people will continue to churn out during a recession. Exactly. Natural attrition in any company is several percentage points 
to in some co- companies is 20 or 30 percent. So mm-hmm. you can you can draw down your workforce by just closing open positions and then not filling anybody that leaves. Right. You can you can pull it down and you can cease all discretionary spending. So yep. any any food, any dining out, any meals and entertainment, sure. travel. And it's healthy, actually, yeah. that, that level yeah. of churn and that kind of uh, sort of paring down of, of discretionary yeah. spending. That's actually healthy. Sure. And then, of course, you can suspend performance bonuses because the company's not performing. So you shouldn't yep. be bonusing people when the company's not performing. There's a lot of things you can do to 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 before you have to cut people because the the sheer amount of money it takes to hire and train people, it's a it's really generally a terrible idea to cut staff. Um, yep. And I think I know who you're talking about, but it's it's mm-hmm. it's very it's very very it's very troubling. Also, how people do that. Right. You know, they'll get them on a mass WebEx and lay them off in mass oh, or they'll worst. do, I mean, like when we had, I remember when we, when we sold SmartBid, I wanted everybody to know, first off, we kept almost all the people. We had a small group of people that left, but a key part of the transaction was that I got to keep the vast majority of the staff and I, and I, I wanted to keep all of them, but it's very hard to sell a company without leaving, you know, departing with any people. And so I negotiated the contracts for the people that had to go with the product to make sure that they mm-hmm. were taken care of. That was part Beautiful. of the transaction was their employment agreement with the next company. And then, then then we worked with our team. And then I said, look, this is a really important thing that we're telling our whole company that this product that has been our main product for 12 years, we're selling it. I said, we're going to tell them in person. And so we did a, a standard EOS cascading message where the leadership team, we all met. The deal closed. Everybody went and met with their direct subordinates. All of them met with their direct subordinates. And we had, we had you know, dozens of meetings in a single day where everyone got told verbally by their boss that we were selling SmartBid and here's what was going to happen. And, you know, hey, the, you, know, the, you know, everybody still has their job. We're, we're good. I mean, and we, we told them verbally. And then the next right. day we had a, a webinar with me simply repeating what they were already told. Amazing. And, you know, it's, a, it's like you, you've got to, man, people work for people, not companies. Yes, bingo. <laughs> and, and, and you so, were clear, you were transparent, and, and yeah. you reminded me very much of how, how Brian Chesky, Airbnb CEO, went about the transition in his company during COVID. It was a lot yeah. of clarity, a lot of transparency, and hearing from the CEO themselves. And yeah. then having follow-up conversations or pre-conversations with their respective managers versus most companies who learn about it minutes before and they get a slack message saying all right pack your shit you're out <laughs> yeah and we still could have done it better i looking yeah. back i i would have i would have had even more i, I would have even over communicated pat lencioni says create organizational clarity and then over communicate organizational clarity and he generally says seven times minimum before somebody gets it and yep. and that's that's so true you know you've got to really really drive that in with with folks and we, we are not perfect at this like we're still trying to figure out how to communicate better with two, you know, 275 people. And that's, that, that can be really challenging, especially when they're in three countries and, and we have five languages spoken in the company, you know, it, we, it, it's not, it's not always simple. And, no. um, and so it's something that are four languages, you know, Afrikaans, English, Spanish, you know, like you can run through all the, the languages everybody speaks. It, yeah. it can, it can be, it can be complex. Um, and so that's something I think that's really important is to remember that, People need to hear from other people. They need to hear regularly and then, then follow up in writing and 
you know, just over communicate that organizational clarity through all those difficult times. And, and we had we did a lot of communicating through COVID. I'll tell you that we had a, we had we had a lot of open teams. You know, AMA asked me anything. We had a lot of webinars. We had our state of the company addresses. We we you know reiterated to everybody like, here's our plan. Here's what we're doing. Here's how we're proceeding. Here's how we're doing. You know, like if you have any questions, message me. Like, let me know if you. Right. And and we still had people who were were panicking about it despite all of that over communication, you know, of course, they, they, needed, yeah. they needed, they needed more. They were really worried. James, uh, you, you've given us uh, su such gifts over here, you know, listeners who come to this podcast for ideas into action, you know, they expect a, a productivity and peak performance podcast, but you've just put on a leadership masterclass here. So thank you. This is, this is deeply energizing for me and I'm sure my fellow leaders, our fellow leaders uh, who are listening to this as well, but I would be, I would be, uh, I, I would earn the, uh, earn the wrath of our listeners if I didn't ask you these questions about your individual productivity and peak performance habits. And I'm genuinely curious about this too, because you know today for this podcast, you showed up 10 minutes early, which to me indicates you know, you've got time management down to an art. And then you have been very energetic throughout this podcast, which I really appreciate. You've done a great job optimizing your energy and you have been dialed in, sir. I mean, your attention has been laser focused. So help us to unpack how it is that you manage your time, your energy, and your attention. And maybe you could give us one strategy for each of those productivity dimensions or elements, if you will. Yeah. Um, historically, I'm notoriously late. And that's why I've been working for the, for, the, for, the, for, the, for the last few years. I've been working really, really hard at being early to things um, mm. and, and planning ahead and really just planning, planning in gap time. Because I, historically, I stacked things too close and too tight and didn't give myself any gap time. And that was really a big, big problem. Um, I have, I, I, I've, I've, I've toyed with a lot of different techniques on how to manage day and schedule. I do have a whole series of alarms set throughout my day that my phone goes off reminding me to do different things. <laughs> Go ahead. You know, you know, I wake up at, I wake up at 6.15 every day, nice. exercises at 7.30, two eggs and two bacon at 8.00 my, you know, my, my eating at noon. I mean, you know, and so I can run through all the times I, I alarmed when I want to eat because I tend to overeat if I don't do that. And exactly. that's, you know, weight management is, as always, when you get older, it's, it becomes very challenging to manage your weight, uh, for for most of us. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's been a really important thing to me is being healthy and having a healthy weight helps me feel good about myself and be positive. Um, scheduling, having alarms for the key things during the day, um, being meticulous about my calendar, but also having scheduling gap minutes so that I'm not pushing it so hard that I'm late to everything during the day. Or if one thing runs late, it doesn't knock five events out of the calendar. Um, you know, being focused now in our, in our company, we have meeting rules that are really driven from EOS and those are uh, be on time, end on time, don't politic, meaning repeat yourself over and over again. Yeah. Uh, no electronics, no messaging, no sidebar conversations. Talk about the elephants in the room and no sacred wow. cows. So those I are our meeting that. rules. Oh, and we're goodness. like super, super militant about our meeting rules. And if people break those meeting rules, we call them out on it. And if I break the meeting rules, which I do sometimes, my business partner uh, will, will definitely let me hear about it later. Um, and, and so I think first is having an actual framework and having it written down and, you know, in, in the big goals that I have, I print up and I, I put 
by my desk and in my closet and by my bathroom that, you know, I want to remember that this is a major objective for me right now. And then my daily habits. I read a really great book called Atomic Habits that James um, Clear. Is, is, yeah, James Clear. And I think James Clear is brilliant. And he it's, it's really great where you're looking at, you know, cue, craving, response, reward, that little cycle there. And so you're, all, you're mm-hmm. always trying to, to cue yourself and then and to do it in, in, into a healthy habit and then to lead yourself into whatever it is. So he says, if you want to run, put your shoes and your socks out in the front of your closet so that you, the hardest first step is putting your shoes on and then you go run. Exactly. And right. so I, I do, I, I've followed Atomic Habits to a T and it really has helped a lot. Um, and uh, there, there's a lot of things. I, I'm really big on checklists. So mm-hmm. I'm a pilot. I, I fly every week. Um, I uh, really, really got into flying when I sold my uh, when I sold SmartBed. Um, I got it to the the due diligence phase, and I went to the airport and let my partner handle due diligence. And I, I got my pilot's license, and I've I've gotten well seven ratings now. So I'm I'm single engine, multi engine, private, single engine, multi engine, commercial. I'm instrument rated. I can fly wow. jets. I can. I'm I'm working on glider. I'm a seaplane pilot too, so I fly seaplanes. And every plane, your success and not dying when you fly is following checklists. Mm. And so, um, but I found that I don't like the big paper cards. I like acronyms, but I have to follow the acronym because then I memorize it. And so I got clear stickies, the, 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 you know, the label makers with the clear tape. And I create, I took my paper checklist and I created a, a, a clear acronym and I, on my plane, I, I stick it right above where the throttle quadrant is, where I apply power, so that before I apply the power to take off, I, I have to look at, and I've got five checklists, and they're all in acronyms, and I run through all of them, and, and with it, I, I've got 1,300 hours of flying and seven ratings, and I'll still miss something on the checklist, and I'll sure. go back, okay, yep, I missed, I didn't put the igniters on, or I had, you know, I didn't check this, or I didn't... I've got this one button and it drives me crazy because it's in the top left <laughs> corner of my panel. And I always yeah. I have to press it three times say. for that system to do a, a system check. And so I, I added that to the checklist. So my point is that on productivity, checklists are everything. And so everything. I do I do acronymed memorization checklists. And the really cool thing about doing logical acronyms is that you can you you start to memorize it and then the checklist is not a to-do list. And people really struggle with the difference, but there's a huge difference between a to-do list and a checklist. Checklist just makes yep. sure you already did it. A to-do list tells you to do something. In flying, you want to memorize it and have the checklist. The because, already done list. Oof, yes, I because when that. you're yeah, because when you're flying, um, you know when like I cruise at 350 knots, right? So it's uh, 600 kilometers an hour. When you're when you're going that fast and when you're landing, like last night I was landing, had my friend in the, in the plane and. We're we're going we're we're landing at 105 knots, so 200 plus kilometers an hour. You're landing at right, wild. Like when you're moving that fast, you really don't have time to consult the paper. You need to memorize yep. what you have to do. Exactly. And so my landing checklist is Sagfly, sink, anti-lock brake gear, flaps, landing lights, igniters, Sagfly, and it's and it's and it's also in flows. So I think two big things that you can do from that that for productivity. Is is checklist and flows. If you make it into like a logical flow, and all of my checklists flow from either top left to bottom right or bottom right to top left, that it's it. I can remember it. I can say it, and it's also in the flow of where my hands will go. 
And so you, you can you can turn everything, you can combo that with atomic habits and you can turn everything into flows from how you put your clothes mm-hmm. on in the morning. I did mm-hmm. the same thing with how I prep at the bathroom in the morning. Right. Um, I read a really great book called Two Second Lean. And it said that lean thinking starts in the bathroom. And so I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I checklist and flowed in uh, my entire bathroom cabinet and I cut 10 minutes of prep a day out. I mean, wow. that's, it's okay. pretty awesome. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious because I, I don't have a, um, an acronym. I don't exactly have a system, but there is some shorthand that I use in the bathroom. I have a, I, I sort of divide the sink left and right and there's stuff that I need to use or do that's on the left. And when I'm done, I just move it to the right. And I've also been just subconsciously shrinking that preparation time, but you've inspired so many different thoughts here, sir, around the power of focus, using acronyms, checklists as already done lists. I mean, this is brilliant. There's no surprise to me that you have been as effective and as successful as you have been throughout your career. How you do one thing is how you do all things. I believe that. And (laughs) clearly how you do one thing, sir, is how you've built this beautiful empire that is the James Bannon empire. And I'm very curious to know in closing, what's next for you? What's next? What are the next stops on your career adventure? Well, the book the book drops in October, November, somewhere around there. Public I can't wait to publisher. read it. Uh, it's called "Be Your Own VC: Ten Bootstrapping Principles to Conserve Cash and Keep Control." Ooh. So that's why I call about. That's why I talked about control and pain. Um, so good. and and so that's it's it's a it's a combo of my top ten lessons plus uh, my story, right? So it's. It is chronological through my story, and then ha- and I pull the lessons out. Um, so that's that's immediate on the horizon. Secondly, um, we we built a really cool product called Terra. That's insurance claims and policy software. It's a big, big, big reach. Um, <laughs> I was really convicted by a, a really good friend of mine as a CEO of a big software company in London, and I and I go see him about every year in London and, and he has me speak at some of his events and he, he's become nice. an unlikely friend. You know, we're, we're probably uh, 30 years apart in age. I think the world 20 year, 25 years, I don't know. He's a great guy. And yeah. um, I was selling smart bed and he goes, well, that's, that's really great. Congratulations. But remember that was wallpaper. Um, what I've been building. And he was not saying this in a mean way. He was saying this in a challenging way as a friend, you know, what I've been building is, is foundation slab. Uh, and, and I, and I was like, oh man, that's, and it, and it like, it was like one of those mind grenades and it, and it, <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. And, and I couldn't yeah. stop thinking about it, you know? Yep. And so Terra is the slab, it's foundation. It's, it's the foundational mm-hmm. software that drives the business below the foundation so, itself. Yeah. So I, I, I would say, um, we're trying really hard to build foundational software, not, not, not wallpaper anymore. And, um, yep. And look, people need wallpaper and they need paint, but sure. we really wanted to build some, and we've done it. We've invested an incredible amount of money in building policy and claim software. And uh, we've, we've landed our first three sales. Uh, number four is pending right now. And and we're, we're chasing the dragon and we're chasing a much bigger dragon that breathes a lot hotter fire. And mm. um, we're, we're, we're competing against some extremely well-funded companies in that space. So that's next. Um, I'm also... I've I've had a a, a bit of a career in politics. I was a city councilman here in College Station. I was a mayor pro tem of of the city of College Station, which is about a 120,000 person town. And we managed about a $360 million budget. And I was on the budget committee for six years and audit. And I, so I did, I was a planning and zoning commissioner before that. And and when I got out of public services, I term limited out. 
I wanted to keep serving in some capacity. And so a year and a half ago, the governor of Texas appointed me to the Texas Southern University Board of Regents. And so I'm a regent wow, at a congrats. public university. And that's amazing. Um, that is my, so the time that my daughters, because my daughters are super important to me, they're 15 and 12, and I, I, they travel with me a lot. We do a lot of stuff together, but we've done closely, close to 50 camping trips together in the last six years. Um, we do a lot of stuff, but um, outside of, you know, kids, wife, JB Knowledge, um, Texas Southern is my, my volunteer gig. I'll be down there tonight, actually, at an at a event they're having. And I'm really, really focused on getting our graduation rates up. We have historically, unfortunately, low graduation rates. And I got to teach as an adjunct at A&M for five years. And um, so it's been really neat getting to apply what I learned as a teacher, what I've learned building a business, and to helping a 8,500 student university really drive four-year and six-year graduation rates up, um, to help our law school drive bar passage rates up. And so we, we, uh, we have a long way to go but we're seeing some real success in areas that we're focusing on. And so Beautiful. that's, that's where my, my volunteer time, um, city council's a volunteer job. You don't get paid for that. Mayor pro Tim's volunteer no. gig, being a regent at university is also a volunteer gig. And so, um, my wife has told me I'm allowed to pick one volunteer gig. And so this is, it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the plane we got to land. Yeah. Wow. James, I am, I'm deeply inspired. You have reignited a love for, productivity, peak performance, and just getting after it, entrepreneurship. I mean, all of the things that were important in the genesis of this podcast. It's been a long journey and I took some time off. You know, you've uh, you've, you've certainly been uh, the catalyst for me. I, I know that I'm going to be reaching out to you um, for a very long time and I hope to bring you back on the podcast. I, th I feel like we've just scratched the surface of, of the intricate system that animates you uh, and that the people in your life, whether professionally, personally, and even through your volunteering are benefiting from your channeling of this time, energy, and attention. Uh, I just want to say on behalf of the listeners of the Ideas into Action podcast and everybody who you serve, uh, thank you for all that you've done, are doing, and will continue to do, sir. It has been an absolute honor to chat with you. Thank you. Well, well let's, give a quick, let's give a quick shout out, though. To one person us, that we owe a shout out to, and that is Katie Zepieri with the connector. <laughs> Kate, yeah, the connector, the uh, the hype. She she calls it. Yep. I th she thinks she calls herself your hype girl. Um, <laughs> yeah, Katie Zepieri out of Toronto, Canada, shout out Katie. Uh, with Mike mm. Drop. Yeah, yep. so big shout out to Katie for connecting us out. and for um, just kicking butt and taking names every day. Uh, Amen. She, She's on her honeymoon right now, but I am uh, right. super fired up for her and her business, and uh, I'm thankful that Katie connected us. Absolutely, absolutely. And and just in closing over here, James, you've you've given us uh, such such gems uh, of wisdom and insight, and uh, you know you, you you pass forward something that your dad shared earlier about just breathing and controlling or doing the things that, that are within your control. Uh, in closing, what is one more piece of advice that you can give us, one of the best pieces of advice that you've ever received? Well, I'll say it's what I, um, what I close out my, uh, my state of the company with every time because we do a quarterly state of the company. And it's uh, advice that I received a long time ago um, to, uh, to work hard, to love your team, and to love what you do, even if you don't necessarily like it that day. 
Mm-hmm. And because I think that it's important to talk about love. I think it's important to love your team, even when sometimes you don't like your teammates because of what they're, how they're behaving that day, that you have to love what they do for you. Um, you know, we, we call them our teammates. I don't actually call them the work, work family. I think, I think family should be reserved for your family family. And, yep, you know, yep. you don't, like, like you said, you don't fire family. It, it, it's awkward, right. but you know, t- teammates have to perform. Family is, is blood connected. So I really like phrasing it in, in teammates and talking about teams. Yep. Um, and not misappropriating the word word family, but uh, I say you know work hard, work hard every day. Love your team, mm-hmm. love what you do, um, because right. if you find things to love about what you do, even when it's a really bad day, you'll still remember that thing you love. Like for me, I love the independence. I love my. I love the the people I get to work with. The fact that I get to to be around high performance people who love to be there. And then I love what I do. Even when days I have to do a bunch of legal review, which I hate doing legal review. I still <laughs> yeah. think about the fact that it, it is moving the the ball forward on the field for the company and it allows me to, to focus and get it done. And so those are the three biggest pieces of advice. I always close my state of the company with, and that is, you know, what do we do here? We work hard. We love our team. We love what we do. And if the, if you do those things, it'll, it'll really help, help keep you motivated. And with that, James, that right there is the mic drop moment. Sir, thank you again <laughs> so much for your time, your energy, your attention. This has been truly, truly inspiring. Uh, I have no doubt this is going to be one of the most popular episodes of the podcast. Thank you, sir. And uh, I will be sure to put everything that you've recommended in the show notes. And I'm very excited to read your book and promote it on this podcast when it is published. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Ideas Into Action podcast. Wow, I am buzzing and I know that you will have a lot to say about this episode. Please message me. Please share this podcast. Be sure to like, subscribe and review if you're new to this. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we are out.